Welcome to another episode of Rugby League Therapy. As always, we are brought to you by the wonderful people at everythingrugbyleague.com. We've been helping young journalists get a head start in a career for a number of years now and have um, Rugby League from all places in the world covered. So if you haven't already checked it out by now, go to everythingrugbyleague.com. Um, and may I say, as a uh, contributing writer for them over the years, um, they're about to come into their own with us coming up to the international um, season, which is something that everything Rugby League specialises in. But we do have one more NRL game to go before then, um, which brings us to what we're talking about today. Lou, we are finally in grand final week. Have you, have you got behind these two teams? You're pumped for it? What are you, what are you feeling? I mean, two teams that are pretty pretty hard to get behind. Yeah, two very confident teams, two very cocky teams. Uh, it's almost like watching the mini-me in a lot of ways for Penrith in terms of playing the Broncos because they've, they've got that swagger. And unless you're really supportive of these two teams, you're really – the genuine hater side comes out and you're, or tall poppy syndrome because, yeah, it's hard, it's, hard to, it's hard to watch them sometimes. But, no, two great teams – yeah, it's going to be a great game. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be hot. I don't know if that factors into anything because neither team really sort of comes from, you know, really hot or a different climate compared to most other NRL teams. It's not like the Cowboys who might have an advantage given the heat. Um, I think it's going to be something like 35 degrees Celsius. Um, so I better put some sunscreen on uh, when I go to the <laughs> game. Um, but just, just before we dive deep into the grand final, um, we're going to talk about a few other things in this episode. We've got the, the Dally M's. The dust has now settled on um, the Dally M medalist of the year, Kalen Ponga, stealing it from Sean Johnson. <laughs> um, we've also got the Dally M team of the year. That'll be um, an interesting discussion. we just got breaking news that Brad Fittler has um, resigned from being coach of the New South Wales Blues, so we'll dissect whether that's a good thing or a bad thing uh, for New South Wales. Uh, and maybe we'll touch on a couple of other things um, quite briefly. We've got the um, uh, rugby union targeting, continued to target NRL players. The latest one, no surprise here, Angus Crichton receiving a $1.6 million two-year offer from the uh, the Western Force. Um, so we'll discuss, um, you know, whether or not that's a, obviously a good thing for the Roosters or, or, or rugby union or, or whether dust settles with that one. Um, and just as Brad Fittler's resigned um, from the New South Wales Blues, uh, Billy Slater signs a three-year extension. So freaky timing, or did he realise that uh, he probably can't coach against Billy Slater because he's simply a better coach? But um, let's start with the Dalian team of the year. Fullback is Kalen Ponga. Uh, the wingers are Dallin Wateni Zelezniak. Uh, the other wing is uh, Jermaine Asako. Centres are Stephen Crichton and Herbie Farnworth. 5'8 is Ezra Mann. Halfback is Sean Johnson. The two props are Payne Hass and Adam Fanul Blake. Hooker is Harry Grant. Second row is Liam Martin. Uh, the other second rower is David Fafita. Good to see a Titans player in there. And at lock uh, is Pat Carrigan. Um, Lou, what are your thoughts on that team? Is, is anyone sort of missed out? Anyone unlucky not to make that team? You think it's a fair team, fair reflection of the season it was? Yes, so... I'm I'm gonna I'll put up my old notes and looking at my team of the year pre-finals, so we didn't really get um, any bias. But I will say this: I definitely picked Kalen Ponga to be fullback, um, and 
my my justification at the time was the Knights would be nothing without him. And yeah, I think he must have well, he did get some incredible points towards the end of that. The voting, which I have seen some very interesting comments about Sean Johnson not getting uh six points when he absolutely destroyed Manly. Um do do you recall that game? Yeah, I uh, I think he had two tries and two try assists. If it's the game that I'm thinking of, but um, yeah, I mean, look, it is it is what it is. Um, but I think that if we kept the original Dalliam system, which we've had for a number of years now, it's obviously the first year where six points are up for grabs each game. Um, I dare say SJ would have won um, the Dalliam medal, but you know, you can only play within the rule system or the point system that there is, but. Geez, it's a hard pill to swallow. He's he's um we talk about teams that truly sort of lifted an entire team. I think SJ lifted the Warriors this year. They're, I mean, there was some real quality around him, like Torhu Harris and Adam Fanil, Blake and Wade Egan. Probably more I dare say probably more contributors for the Warriors this year outside of SJ than Newcastle had contributing to, to Kalen Ponga. Would that be a fair I, point to make? I think I think that's a great comment, uh, great great point. It's the Knights were very off the back of one sort of power, uh, energy, um, and yeah, the Warriors got great representation. That probably tells you why he might have not might have not won it. Uh, I completely disagree with Ponga winning it, but. Yeah, I'm just looking through the list. So Pong, I agree with DWZ, of course. Asako, I think you had Asako as your win of the year, right? Um, yeah, Pryde, playing for the Dolphins, with... top try scorer and top goal kicker in the same year. I don't think it's been well, – it's been a long, long time since that's happened, but he deserves one of the spots in my mind. Yeah, I mean, props, agreed. Harry Grant, agreed. Uh, and for feet, agreed. The only ones I didn't pick were – Carrigan, which but I had him as backup to Yo and who's the other one? Uh, Liam Martin actually didn't pick him, but and Herbie, but yeah, I mean, it, the, the team kind of picked itself this year in a lot of ways. It's there's not too many controversial. Oh, Ezra Mam, I'm now here's a controversial comment for me. Um, there's no way I would ever take Ezra Mam over Cameron Munster, and that's not a knock on Ezra because I think he's a good player. Just even Jerome, I think Jerome Lewis is getting really overlooked now. I think he's he's a top player and sort of just maybe he's rubbed people the wrong way too much that people don't want to give him credit where it's due. But yeah, that's my long-winded um, response to that. Pretty good side. Uh, not the right Dally M choice for sure, though. Do you think that do you think that Dally M player of the year is actually the player of the year? I mean, uh, obviously, the common criticism of the of the process of, you know, each game gets a, a six points, and if you're in a team where you're a superstar surrounded by non-rep players, then you obviously have an advantage when it comes to taking out the Dali M. With, with respect to the Waz, we saw that in 2018 with Roger Tuivasa-Shek taking out the Dali M. Nico Hines at the Sharks last year. Now, the Sharks finished second, so I don't want to diminish any contributions that any player outside of Nico Hines had, but you compare it to, you know, a spine like Melbourne that has Harry Grant, Cameron Munster, Jerome Hughes, Pappenhausen when he's fit, um, and Nelson the Solomona in the forward pack. They're always going to take points from each other, whereas if you're like a Caelan Ponga is to Newcastle, you have a distinct advantage. 
So the question is, is Kalen Ponga or was Kalen Ponga the best player in, in 2023 or is this just a reflection of the way that the, the award is structured? Oh, great question again. So don't forget Jackie White and won it a few years ago when even as Raiders fans probably were wondering why he won it because um, he he played great. But I think I think sometimes I don't know who does the votes. Let's let's be honest. You, uh, how how closely are they watching the game basically? And I feel like sometimes. If they don't watch it that tight, they, they don't watch, you know, with a magnifying glass. They're probably just going, okay, who's the best player in the team? Oh, okay, who, who had the biggest moments? Rather than say, you know, the Raiders players, like in 2020, I'm trying to think who was great then. I thought George Williams was pretty good. Um, Tarpany had his breakout year. So they, there was some really strong players, but then they'll probably just default. If they say, say when the Raiders won, and they probably just default to White and being Clive Churchill winner the year before. So yeah, you probably got a good point. Um, in saying that, I'm going to still back the fact that Ponga was outstanding. Literally before he was injured, um, when he was injured, the Knights were Adam O'Brien should be sacked. This is the worst roster, underperforming roster, etc. Comes in, and I think he, so I made a really good comment on social media and when it ripped that. I don't know who it was. But shout out to him. It's a similar to the Hayne train experience from a few years ago, the one where he made um, took the Eels to the final, where he just played outstanding, and it was clear he it was clear he was the best player in the field. And yeah, in in terms of in terms of player of the year, I think it's more of the most valuable player. I think that's the way they need to describe the award. Yeah, because cool. it without it's like a every other sport. It's the most valuable player. You just Take him out of the team or take her out of the team. What type of team we got? And the Knights were a bottom eight team. You take Sean Johnson out there, it's probably the same call. I just think as, you know, from, from a New Zealand Forest perspective, the WA had much better performing players around him, which is great for the team. But for individual accolades, probably not so much. Mm. I'm also hearing rumours, um, just a side comment here, that Sean Johnson's um, made himself unavailable for the Kiwis. Um, in a few weeks' time. So as a Warriors fan, I'm, I'm a bit like, well, that's that's great for the Warriors because, you know, he'll have a full off-season. When we saw what happened when he had a full off-season last year, it came with him a point of winning the Dally M last night and took it to a prelim. Um, but it's it kind of like he's been in such great form. You want to see him represent his country in what could be the last time he represents his country. So I'm in two minds about that one, but um, that's unconfirmed uh, at the moment. Um, all right, let's talk forward passes. Something needs to be done for blatant forward passes. I'm, look, as with everyone, I want to mimic comments. The Broncos would have won that game. I'm probably, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that the Warriors would have would have won that game. I'm saying that when we were still in the game, it was extinguished by a moment of mediocrity and incompetence by the match officials. Um, and this has become a really a really big point in the game where we just don't have the quality of match officials um, anymore. And, you know, the, I think it's um, – who, who's refereeing this weekend? Um, Ashley Klein and Gerard Sutton have been overlooked because Ashley Klein had that blunder where he missed the Harry Grant knock-on. Um, 
and Gerard Sutton missed the most blatant forward pass I've seen in years. <laughs> and then we've got Adam G, effectively Stephen Bradbury, into the grand final. So with all due respect to Adam G, it's not necessarily that he's the best referee in the game. It's just that the, the standard of officiating has become so bad that, you know, he's, he's the last man standing. And a side comment that I want to make here is that the new TV deal in the English Super League actually televises or at least films all of the games. I, I well, something that I'm keen to watch here because we're on topic of efficient here is I don't think English fans know what they're in for because what that does do is it opens up the option of, and, and I think they will have this, video refs at every single Super League game, all six games per week. Now, it's fine to overlook things when you see them live and there's no replay on the TV or, or stuff like that. But I don't think the Super League have the quality of match officials to be able to have video refereeing and uh, officials that are televised every single game. So that would be a very interesting thing to, to sort of um, look out for next year uh, in the English Super League. But just quickly coming back to the NRL, how did they miss this, Lou? How did they miss this? Yeah, it's. I think we both probably knew at that point that that's when the game was over um and i think i said this last week in terms of the broncos are one of those teams that once they capitalize on any opportunity they do score two three tries in quick succession and sort of put the game away they they did it against the knights i remember that game they did against the raiders where they are the better team um so let's underline that the issue is how they get ahead is always due to some momentum swing which they are so good at uh capitalizing on so yeah the the forward pass was so bad it actually you know should have been a penalty it was that forward but i just I, I actually the second pass was forward as well and i thought the, the third try yes. for the broncos of, of reese walsh's last pass was forward as well it was forward passes from reese walsh all game yeah he's he's he definitely the the very first one 100 that's all that's that's the one in question that's that's the one that is essentially triggering a, a rule change because it was just that blatant and i'm glad that um they are going to fix it because yeah there's what how many there's one what so how many refs are out there now and a video ref like and no one seems to be able to catch half these mistakes um yeah it it's a bit of a disappointing thing when and i know it's a sore point for me the six again rule from a few years ago um again didn't didn't uh decide the match but these things make such a huge impact the rugby league is a momentum game you get you know you could be down 20 get a quick couple tries and you're back in the game and sort of yeah it's difficult it's difficult with um hindsight because I know that doesn't really help the Warriors. I mean, people like Dustin Vang are really taking things really personally at the moment. So, um, but yeah, it's it's something. They, at least they're starting to turn things around from an officiating perspective. Well, one of the things, well, obviously the main reason why the bunker isn't allowed or isn't currently allowed to rule on forward passes because camera angles um, give a false illusion um, that it's forward or back, etc. Um, so they've tried to invest in, in you know, chip technology in the ball uh, via an English company. They spent half a million bucks with a feasibility study, et cetera. Then they've come back that it's just not feasible, costs too much, et cetera. Um, but one <laughs> of the comments that 
Graham endlessly made is that this is an easy one for me to um to call upon because the ball was passed on the halfway line and there's always a camera on the halfway line. So that's a perfect opportunity where if that ball goes forward, then that's definitely forward because the camera's in line with where the ball was passed. So it got me thinking, we're a sport with a $2 billion TV contract if you include Sky Sports New Zealand in that as well. How much does it cost to put a camera on every 10 metres on of the field on both sides? So don't get me wrong, there's a lot of camera. You don't have to use all of the cameras in the TV footage. But if you had a camera every 10 metres, most stadiums allow for that these days. The only stadiums that, that might, I mean, Mount Smartwood, um, Townsville Wood, Brisbane Wood, Gold Coast Wood, Melbourne Wood, Parramatta, Allianz, all these are brand-new stadiums with multi-tiers stands on the east and the west side. You could set up cameras every 10 metres and you could largely at least reduce the camera angle playing a big part because that's a maximum of five metres that each camera can't can't stretch to. So they could, so that, you know, if you've got two cameras, one on the 20-metre line, one on the 10-metre line, they can both look inwards to wherever, wherever the ball is and that's a maximum of five metres that they're, that they're missing. So that would largely reduce it. I'm not saying rule on, on uh, marginal calls, but with the game on the line, we we're only 24 to 12 down, then... You know that was that was just extinguished after that. We started to aim up, and and then that happened. And look, the Broncos almost certainly would have won anyway. I'm not saying that the Warriors would have won. I'm saying that we robbed of the chance of winning, um, which is the big issue. So, any more to add on this one, or am I just getting myself fired up? You're getting yourself fired up, but I don't think you without points. The main one being, yeah, you know, two billion, right? What's Wimbledon? I'm assuming a lot, right? Um, they use Hawkeye, I think. I know all tennis major tournaments use Hawkeye. Cricket uses Hawkeye, and they and they adjudicate on the the uh, the trajectory of the ball as well. Now, I'm sorry, but you don't even need like multi-billion-dollar technology to decide whether Reese Walsh just passes forward. It's almost like just some common sense could come in. Um, yeah, maybe they just need to do something. But right now, the current system doesn't work. Like, there's been so many instances in the NRL where they're trying to change something that doesn't need to be changed, but this one has to be looked at. And, yeah, I completely agree with you. Down down two tries, you know, you can swing that You can swing that back, but not when not when people are missing forward passes and blatant, blatant ones at that. Yeah, it's a shocking look for the game, and and as a, a rusted on fan, I'm still you know going to watch the grand final. In fact, even going to the grand final, the fact you know we're still doing the podcast and stuff. Like that. I'm, I'm always going to love rugby league, but I tell you what, that would have lost you know a small amount of fans to that kind of bullshit decision. Uh, and so we need to fix it because um, yeah, it's it's a terrible look for the game. Um, all right, so the next uh, article uh, that I want to touch on is uh, let's talk a bit of a um, enemy code here. Sydney Rooster star Angus Crichton weighs up switch to Western Force uh, rugby union side. Uh, so Rugby Australia is ramping up its bid to sign more NRL stars, and the Sydney Roosters won't stand in the way of Angus Crichton uh, making the move to a 15 man game. Uh, so this reported that the deal or the offer at least is worth $1.6 million over two years and uh, that it will get him over in time for the British and Irish Lions Tour in 2025 
and the World Cup in 2027. Uh, rugby boss Hamish McClellan, uh, McLennan, I should say, uh, is on the record of saying that his struggling code is looking for more NRL players to boost a code that is at an all-time low. He said, we just need to invest in more players. Imagine if we had five more Joseph Suwali'is in the squad. Well, I have my thoughts on, on comments like that, but I want I don't want to influence yours, so I want to get yours first. What are your thoughts on Hamish McLennan's comments that imagine if we had five more Joseph Suwali'is in the squad? Well, um, in case any, uh, I think I've made it too... I don't say it too loud, but I am actually a rugby union fan, um, not as much as a league fan, clearly. And let's get one thing out of the way. Suwali'i, um, Angus Crichton, Cam Murray, they were uh, Adam Dewey, Lachlan Ilias. These guys all were Luke Keary, uh, Ryan Pappenhausen. I could go on and on and on. Nelson, Asif- Nelson, all these guys played rugby union in high school. So... They they were in the sights of the, the other code. For whatever reason, they haven't been able to lock these guys down. And, it, you know, we can get into the, the individual details of each one. But reality is they've missed out on so much talent over the years and haven't really thought of how to get them back other than wait for rugby league to develop them and then bring them back, which is ridiculous because you can – like of stocks, buy low, sell high. That's what rugby league is doing. And they're getting the best out of them when they're younger. Because um, I don't know how, I mean, Angus Crichton's had a few injuries now. And I, I just think that rugby union trying to, you know, identify five of these, they were in the code to begin with. I was looking at, and I shared it with a mate of ours, top 50 uh, Australian, school, Australian schoolboy rugby league players in 2022 Guess who was number one? Rugby league players in 2022 or rugby union? Uh, oh, rugby league rugby under 18. Yes. Say again? Uh, yeah, rugby league under 18 schoolboys last year. Guess who was a n- number one? Oh. It's going to be a tough one, so I don't uh, – oh, no, I'll I'm give you a hint. He, he went to Barker. Isaiah Katoa. Isaiah also. Oh, I had it at Barker. Yes, right he was road. at Barker. Yeah, right up the red in Hornsby. He was carving it up. Single-handedly for Bar- I mean, Bark is a good school, but what I'm saying is they're in the system, and there's no reason why rugby union can't say, "Look, we see you're talented. We can see you play footy really well. Stay here. We'll, we'll fast track into the Wallabies." They've done it with a, with one guy, Max Jorgensen. Um, but beyond that, you know, Angus Crichton was. If you anyone type in YouTube, Angus Crichton, Scots College highlights. This guy was an absolute machine, and. For, for union to not even think about like what what is the drawback for union they they could either play the guys they currently have which you know what we saw against wales in the weekend not good enough or they can they can identify the best national talented players um yeah sorry Kalen ponga there's another one i'm just there's just so many players that they could have had didn't get and now they're sort of buying them with, at their absolute premium and there's no rugby is a 15 man game it's they don't have 15 league players they can just pull. So, so to answer your question, uh, Union uh, really, they don't have a plan. They're just trying to sign players that probably detract a few headlines at the moment because there's no way that these guys are going to do much in the next World Cup. Yeah, it's incredibly short-sighted in my mind. Um, look, I think that they 
do need to do something short-term to stay in the game, so to speak. The, the code is on its knees here in Australia. Um, and maybe getting some stars from league will get some eyeballs watching rugby union and then sort of attract or, or maybe keep the, a few future stars from jumping to the NRL when they might have, you know, if they weren't, you know, watching the Wallabies win or something like that. So something definitely does need to be done short term. But my concern for rugby union is that let's just buy league players is not supported by any long-term development plans, at least none that I know of at the moment. And it's not really league that is is a threat of coming in and taking over as the number one sports uh, sport at, at Knox and Barker and 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 you know those DPS schools. Um, surprisingly, it's AFL. Um, we saw Endeavour Sports High, one of the best sports um, high schools in the country, um, just cancelled their rugby union program because the demand wasn't there. It cost too much money to run, uh, but they still have a, wow. an AFL one in, in there in New South Wales. So. We're actually seeing AFL really infiltrate these these uh, private boys' schools, and it's not rugby league doing it. Rugby league might get the end product um, because you know rugby union and rugby league are, are quite similar sports, um, and then it's an attractive proposition for a young sixteen or seventeen year old Isaiah Katoa to jump ship and you know make his NRL debut, for example. Um, but the reality is that at the fundamental sports, you know, representing the school level. It's not league that's that's being represented in these schools. It's it's unions struggling to combat AFL in a lot, a lot of the cases, um, which is interesting dynamic in itself. Um, anything else to say on this subject, or we want to move on to the next article? Just a quick one. Yeah, that's super interesting. I know the AFL. That's probably something that we could talk on because um, I think in, in future episodes, definitely in the off season, the AFL is definitely closing in because I think now more than ever we're seeing head injuries and so forth be brought to the um, the the front of people's minds. And, you know, rugby, rugby union, rugby league, like there's a lot going on with injuries and whether it's safe to play. And, uh, yeah, I, I can see rugby union, especially because they're not doing well on the international stage. The, the domestic game is, well, I, I don't know, I'm assuming it's not great to watch. So, um, yeah, just an all-around difficult time for rugby union. And Angus Crichton, I, I think, is a great player. Um, and Sue Lee will be a good player too uh, at Union. But how? what type of plan is this? It's almost like it's like a West Tigers plan, isn't it? Let's just sign some top players with reserve-grade talent and hope for the best. It's like you're still going to come last. Yeah, it's quite evident that the plan of the West Tigers is let's Let's sign, yeah, as you said, some top players um, so we can give our boys time to come through that are currently 16, 17 years of age. It's not a bad plan on paper. The problem for Union, though, is that at least the West Tigers have a giant nursery of rugby league players in the MacArthur region, and it's not a bad plan because there will be quite a lot of talent that comes out of that area in the next few years if they if they nurture them and actually manage to keep them for once. Um, whereas with Rugby Union, there's not that pipeline of talent coming through. So that's well, hilariously, there's a great parallel with that. As you just said, like the Tigers have always had that, you know, that's Desco's Moses, um, Aaron Woods. They had that, you know, the big four a few years ago. They had Adokar, this goes on. Now, the Union have also got those players, Pappenhausen, Keary, all sorts, Cam Murray, 
they haven't really, but they, they too just decided, nah, we're not going to bring them in for whatever reason or just discard them um, from being professionals. And I think their, their parallels are very similar. They were both good in t- 2003 and they've been, or two, whenever they want, like 2005, and they've been both pretty hopeless since. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, a, I'm a Wallabies fan. I just, they're just not doing good, and it's hard to get behind them at the moment. But well, yeah, last com- last question for you before we move subjects, because ultimately we are obviously a rugby league podcast. Is that do you think that World Rugby, um, as an organisation, would be worried about what's happening in Australia? They're owed a very big loan by the um, by Rugby Australia, and it's going to take a lot for Rugby Australia to pay back that loan um, as well. And we've seen a team that's won. One of only currently one of only four countries to ever win a rugby world cup, uh, and they've won it twice. The Wallabies. Do you think that world rugby is looking upon this with concern, or do you think that Australia is somewhat, you know, replaceable given the way the game's going in the northern hemisphere? Oh, that's a tough question. Uh, one one thing I, I guess sticks out for me is I don't recall any rugby nation that's say New Zealand have this sort of decline i think australia is literally the first where top of the top of the the mountain type of nation at a sport and there's just it's almost like the west indies type from cricket where they were feared and now they're like almost like a punching bag so yeah i think i think and i and i and i think world rugby will step in probably and and put as much money into this as possible to get them corrected because I think everyone knows the talent. Like league has taken a lot of the players, not taken them. They've they've always had the foot in, but um, yeah, well, rugby's definitely probably a bit worried about that loan, and probably very worried about the state of the game. So with the World Cup coming down there in a few years' time, you know they need the home team to do well because we saw what happened with Matildas. They're probably trying to replicate that. Yeah, my last comments on this is. Um... I actually think that rugby should fear rugby league in the Pacific. Um, once unfathomable that league would even come close, you'd be laughed at for saying that the Warriors and rugby league were, you know, a threat to the All Blacks, and 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 they're not there yet. But this year, I'll tell you what, with the if the All Blacks, you know, don't go well at this World Cup, and the Warriors continue to go well next year, and the investment that Rugby League is making in the Pacific as well and a possible new team, 18 team in Papua New Guinea. For the first time, I wouldn't write off Rugby League's uh, Rugby League as a threat to Rugby Union in the Pacific. Um, so that's an interesting dynamic to keep an eye on. Uh, move on to our next, uh, our next subject, which is uh, Freddie Fittler's resigned as coach of New South Wales. Um, how do you think his legacy will be seen? Oh, look, I think, I don't even, when did this come out, like, an hour ago? Yeah, um, breaking news. Crazy. Uh, yeah, I think Freddie Overs, uh, he was given an insanely large pool of players, uh, insanely talented large pool of players, like the Trill, Turbo, um, and to be honest, his legacy is going to be marred by weird selections. He definitely went with players that I wouldn't have always gone with. And, yeah, I'm a bit indifferent about his – his. I think his record's 
in terms of series wins. He should have won basically all of them with the type of talent he's got. And he's kind of jumping at the right time because I think he's seeing this Broncos team just pretty much stacked with Queenslanders. Um, and Cowboys have got a ton of talent as well. And Who yeah, just South a bit of a disappointing in, one. Uh, Reese Walsh, Carrigan, Flegler. Yeah, uh, who were the New South Welshmen? Like, oh, Haas. Haas, yeah. That's a pretty big uh, one. Tony Staggs. Yeah, Tony oh, Staggs yeah. and um, Reynolds, if, he's, if he decides to put his hand up. But, yeah, I mean, literally the Brisbane Broncos could be the nucleus of the um, the Queensland team for years to come. And I don't think Freddie's got a – like, Freddie tried Penrith, the Penrith combinations, thinking that was going to be enough. But, yeah, it's – I don't know. I mean, uh, great – He's a great player, huge fan. As a player, as a coach, I think he's he won't be remembered too fondly. Put you on the spot here, but can you think of any viable replacement at this stage? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, there's, there's only one man that comes to mind, I guess, now. It's, it's going to be Phil Gould. Uh, I don't think he'd do it. See, I... I'd like to see Craig Bellamy after he's stepped down from head coach of the Storm take on the Blues. I think that would be perfect for him because it's not a full-time job. He can still be basically retired for most of the year. I know he's due to do like a head of football-style role or some kind of role that they make up just to keep him around the club, but um, nothing anywhere close to the pressures of head coaching role um, of, of an NRL club. So, unfortunately, it's too soon. Um, for Craig Bellamy to take that role up. Some people have touted Michael Maguire. Um, you'd have to stand down for the Kiwis in my mind. You can't co- coach both the, the Blues and the Kiwis at the same time. But it would be very interesting to see um, who gets the nod. Um, all right, let's move on to everyone's favourite segment. All right, it's a mastermind. First clue, born in 1986. Yep, next. <laughs> uh, I was born in Brisbane and I went to Ipswich Grammar. Next. I played for the New South Wales under-19s and the Tour McClydesdales. Next. I played nine NRL games and scored four points. Nine NRL games. It's not as obscure as you think. And, and yeah. I'm assuming that he's gone on to either be a media commentator or a head coach. Um, but next. I was once hailed as the next Wally Lewis. Oh, next. I then made the transition to the Wallabies and played 51 times. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my punt. Is it? Oh, hang on. No, is it Beric Barnes? Well done, man. Uh, I, um, I, went, yes. I went for the cross code based on the 
Angus Crichton article. Um, yeah, Beck Barnes, he's, he's a, he could have been a really good rugby league player, but he, he went to Union and, and had a pretty good career, Captain Australia. Um, wore the tightest skull cap you'll ever see to make his head look um, so small. But, yeah, he can play footy and, yeah, maybe one that got away for the Broncos. But it's, it's interesting how, how you can play nine get? games. Uh, you Question six, you got it. Ooh, four. That's our point. Four yeah. Ooh. yeah, not bad. Double. Not bad. <laughs> I, was, I was a bit worried. I was a bit worried. Because you're starting to feel like you're, you're just like, fuck, I look like a, oh, I don't know anything right now. you got to make it both. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a tough one, man. Because um, the other the other one, what made this guy so interesting is he actually could have played for the Broncos, the Reds, or the Bulls. The, the, he was good enough to play cricket as well. Yeah, yeah Queensland Bulls. Mm. Yeah, so look, 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 the whole thing is Australia's got great – talent in multiple sports because winter and summer sports i know ponga was like a golf guy before he decided to play rugby league and rugby union so there's a lot of guys that you know rugby league's doing a fantastic job of actually trying to secure them considering how tough the sport is but yeah it's a good nice one you actually you swung for the fences and got it all right let's move on to our grand final preview um this <laughs> As you said in a message during the week, this is uh, this is the battle of the seas in my mind. Yeah. The two teams that are, yeah. are really difficult to get behind, so much so that the Daily Telegraph had an article um, yesterday, NRL Grand Final 2023, Penrith or Brisbane, which bandwagon will Sydney siders jump on? Uh, the Panthers' unapolo- unapologetic approach celebrating their well-earned NRL Premiership victories has drawn the ire of fans from rival clubs. Everybody loves an underdog, and that is exactly the reason why Penrith Stars are expecting fans of other Sydney clubs to be cheering for Brisbane on Sunday night. That's four straight grand finals and a historic three-peat up for grabs. The Panthers are no longer the feel-good story, uh, but the dominant force in the NRL. As the, as the fairy tale team in 2020, league fans share the pain of the grand final loss at the hands of Melbourne. Uh, this time, Isaac Tungo believes that fans will be cheering for their demise. Everyone hates the winners. Everyone loves the underdog, he said. I'm not saying that the Broncos are the underdog, uh, but that has always been the narrative that everyone wants to see the underdog win. Sounds like he's saying that they're the underdog, but um, we've been to four grand finals in a row now, so we haven't been an underdog for a while. Uh, Penrith's unapologetic approach to celebrating their well-earned premiership victories has drawn the ire of not only rugby league fans, uh, but pundits alike. Uh, Bookie, uh, sorry, boom rookie, uh, Sunya Saruva revealed the playing group has learned to harness the backlash. Everyone just hates when the boys are on uh, are on top, I guess. Uh, we even get hate for the way that we celebrate. Here we really value um, that we don't care what others say. Um, we just have to embrace it. So um, who do you want to win this game? <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. I think Penrith for win. But I want the Broncos to win, um, but not by much because I think the Broncos are also really escaping. They're, they're acting like the Penrith Panthers without the titles, which is some, you know, they, they had that sort of swagger about them. Um, 
tough, tough game to pick. But yeah, I, I'd say Penrith to win. Broncos just there's a few question marks in their team. Um and and to me, the Warriors look like they had an opportunity until we talked about for the Reese Walsh thing and Penrith have just looked so strong for I can't remember the last time they played a bad game. Um yeah, it's uh, what are your thoughts? The part that worries me about the Broncos is they look like world beaters with the ball and they're decent defenders. But are they is it is it a premiership quality defense? Does the defense is it just disguised because they've been so dominant with the ball and they don't actually have to defend as much as like a lot of other teams who are you know terrible with the ball would have to defend on their try line. So I don't know the answer to that question. I'm sure the people listening out there that have the stats to say that, you know, the Broncos are an amazing defensive team, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, But in my mind, that's the area of concern for me. Uh, the Panthers could dismantle the Broncos and that they look like world beaters when uh, when it all goes their own way. Uh, but the Warriors, you saw momentum starting to swing a little bit there and they started to look pretty good. When the Warriors in the first half got down um, – the end of the Broncos, you know, they scored straight away. So the part that I worry about for Broncos fans is, is their defense against a hugely quality team such as the Panthers uh, in attack. Um, now I'm going to blatantly rip off a, a few things from the um, Hello Sport Bloke in a Bar podcast. Um, <laughs> so they're big enough that we can just rip them off. Um, Adam Reynolds has been playing NRL for 12 seasons now and he's made the prelim in eight of those seasons. Uh, so this is the second grand final in three years where the halfbacks are Nathan Cleary versus Adam Reynolds. Um, and the third thing is uh, not a fact, but it got me really thinking, is that line in Adam Reynolds' hair deliberate <laughs> or is it a scar? So they were discussing this. Um, and I, I listened of- to it actually before. I listened to this before actually. <laughs> What do you think? What do you think it is? I I think it's it must be a line. It's it's he definitely shaves it in um, because there's there's no way that's not growing back. I know Jordan Rapana's got stitches in his head um, and it sort of has to grow around a bit. Yeah, I mean, getting credit to Reynolds for being an amazing player that's so underrated. People forget how important he is. In every team, he, he seems to be the common denominator right now. The James Maloney almost, where people just discard him because he's not super flashy, but he just seems to always be in the best team because not because it's the best team, but he happens to just help make things tick. Um, yeah, that's. Do you do you see the parallels of Reynolds and, and Maloney? I mean, obviously, yeah, Maloney's I, I way more clubs. I just, if Reynolds, if Brisbane win this weekend, Reynolds' legacy is something else compared to if they lose. I know that's a really obvious statement to make, but eight prelims in a, in twelve years, but right now only one premiership to show for it. It's a bit of a Mitch Pearce New South Wales Blues kind of tag to it. But if he takes Brisbane to the premiership to the promised land this weekend. His legacy changes completely in my mind. Um, I so there's actually. I genuinely think. So you go. You go. No, no, it's, uh, no, no, you go. 
Well, I just yeah, I was just going to reiterate that there's without he may not realize, or probably does realize it. Um, the way we view Adam Reynolds post career, um, a lot of it hinges on on this this Sunday, an incredible amount, in fact, um, because he's good enough to take a club to eight prelims, but one in eight in terms of converting them into premierships, that's that's not a very good record. Um, but two in eight with two separate clubs, with him the common denominator, he'll, he'll get the respect that he rightly deserves from me. Not from me, but in my opinion. <laughs> he doesn't care it's, about my respect, of course. <laughs> he might. He might. He might one day when we're huge. But the thing that problem with Reynolds is also because he's sort of almost a scapegoat whenever he plays for the state of origin. And he gets dropped, doesn't really get much of a run. And I, I, ju- I just, I think to myself, there's other, other, other players who have got way more recognition than him. But yeah, whether they're as important as him, probably not. And I don't think, again, could be corrected. I don't recall Reynolds ever winning, say, Dalliem uh, halfback of the year, which um, kind of. Which SJ won last night, I might add for anyone listening. Yeah, SJ won it. Um, but, again, I'm going to be really harsh. Take away the international careers. Who would you, on a club land, would you take Reynolds' career or SJ's career? Oh, throughout the course of his career, um, purely on the game ability and what he's done as a proven year to year, of course, Adam Reynolds in a heartbeat. Um from a Warriors point of view, I think Sean Johnson will remain basically the, the face of the club long after retirement, though. He bleeds the club, and you can't buy that kind of investment. Um, um, so, like, it suits the Warriors. But, like, of course, throughout the course of a, a career, year to year, Adam Reynolds, hands down, not even in question. Yeah. And also, I would have loved to have seen someone like SJ stand next to a Reynolds, like, combination-wise, because I think probably to kind of circle back to my original point which was he's not the flashiest player he's such a good organizer and i'm he must have intangibles and leadership qualities that you can't see because there's plenty of teams out there that struggle because they don't have the right leaders and i just think he's probably got the right attitude and just seems to be able to know how to galvanize a team because he touches the ball so much and knows what he's doing and Probably there's an air of calmness about him that we can't see through the TV or, or at, at the field. So I just, yeah, I actually want the Broncos to win now just for Adam Reynolds' legacy. I know that Nathan Clue's got probably many more in the bank. And, yeah, it's – so this is actually – you made a good, really good point about how the defence – I think it's because of the way the Broncos play, right? The Broncos have Ainhas charging – Cobo charging. They just get on the front foot quick. Then Reese Walsh injects himself. They're on the front foot. They're playing down the other end. And the, they play positional footy so well where they're always seem to be trying to push for points rather than trying to defend their line. Like there's they just they just never seem to really be under the pump that hard. Like don't know the Warriors weren't really like and when the Warriors were on their line, they they happened to put on some nice set plays on them. So um, yeah, if Penrith can sustain that just 
and I know Penrith will because clearly he's a master at kicking. They get down that other end, they start putting pressure on the Broncos. Um, I haven't seen anyone do it to the Broncos yet because they they're able to get out of the danger zone quite quickly. Did any of you? What what did you think was the the biggest issue for the Warriors? Um, if if the Warriors could see how the game was going to pan out, what would they have done differently? Um, I think that we thought that we had our edge defense sorted with a almost like a drop in system, if that makes sense for any cricket fans out there with a drop in pitch. Um, but when put under the pump from the speed of Reese Walsh and just the relentlessness of the Brisbane Broncos outside backs. Um, I think that we panicked a little, you know, we saw either the first or the second try where DWZ can't help but come in and, and lost faith in the centre. Um, so that's fine to, um, you know, when, when normal pace set players are coming at you, teams may still score, but you can, you would find it easier to, to, to remain under the defensive structure that you've been learning at training. Uh, but what Brisbane do in attack, they tend to panic defensive lines, and I think that that's where we fell apart on the edges. Um, and then you can see some of the senior players. There was a moment there after that try that I referenced was scored in the early in the first half where SJ, you can see him screaming at Dallin, knowing that he, he completely got it wrong and went against everything that they had trained for. And that's because Brisbane put them under such speed and pressure and they, and they panicked. So that's where Brisbane does well. But I can't see Penrith doing the same thing. I think Penrith are too good for that. Um, be, so you're picking the Panthers to win? I don't know. I, I, yes. But <laughs> I, I was originally, if you asked me an hour ago even, I would say Brisbane. Let, I'll tell you what, let's go through Let's go through the the positions and who's who who's the better player, I guess. Um, so at fullback, Dylan Edwards versus Reese Walsh. Who would you pick? Walsh. All right, Sunya Taruva, Jesse Arthurs. Baba, you're picking Walsh as well? Uh, I'm going Walsh as well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Taruva, how about you? Um, yeah, that's a tough one because Jesse Arthurs has really come up. I'll, I'll go Taruva. So we've got 1-1 one, one here. Um, uh, centres are Isaac Tungo and Katoni Staggs. Staggs. Stacks. Okay, so we've got another Brisbane one. Um, Stephen Crichton, Herbie Farnworth. Oh, this is a good, this is incredible because like Herbie had it on him in the World Cup, but I'll go Crichton. Yeah, I'll go Crichton as well. Um, just that origin experience. I know Herbie played for England, but yeah, I think that big game experience for me. Uh, Brian Toto, Selwyn Cobbo. Oh, this is two of my favorite players. Um, I think Brian Toto, though, is probably if there's if there's actually the most valuable player in the comp, it might be Brian Toto. Um, how about yourself? Yeah, I'm going Toto on this. Uh, not to say that the highlights reel for Cobo would be worse than Toto's. I just think throughout the course of a, a game, I think Toto probably has the experience and um, yeah, more consistency for me. Uh, at five eight, uh, Jerome Luai and um, Ezra Mam. Jerome. Yeah, Jerome for me as well. Uh, Halfback Nathan Cleary versus Adam oh. Rattler. You have to go Cleary, don't you? Just you have to go Cleary's. Three premierships at the halfback. Uh, forwards are Moses Liotta and Thomas Flegler. I don't know, Michael Flegler. 
Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll back you there. We'll go Flegler as well. Uh, Hooker, Mitch Kenny, Billy Walters. Geez, two, two yeah, players with the weaknesses of both sides in comparison to where they've been in some previous years. Billy Walters has improved a lot, and I'd, I'd say him and Mitch Kenny probably doesn't have any more years to influences um, as Billy Walters. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll go Billy Walters. I agree with that one. Uh, props, we've got James Fisher-Harris versus Payne Haas. Incredible Ooh. Payne Haas. Yeah, I'll go Haas as well, but what a matchup. Um, yeah. Second row, we've got Scott Sorensen, Kurt Capewell. Capewell. Yeah, I'll go Capewell as well. Um, second row again, we've got Liam Martin, Jordan Ricky. Ricky underrated, um, but Liam Martin has it on. Yeah, Liam Martin has to have that one. Uh, at lock, Isaiah uh, Yo, Patrick Carrigan. I had Yo in my team of the year, but I'll go with the consensus on this one. Carrigan, Daliam, lock of the year. Yep, I'll go Carrigan as well. All right, move to the bench. Um, for the record, for starting 13, we have seven Broncos and uh, six Panthers. I just think, though, just on that, I, I know it was sort of coming to me, the key positions, though, we went for the the Panthers, didn't we? Except for Walsh. Oh, yeah, and Walsh is, yeah. Walsh is the so man. fine, we've got Walsh over Edwards. Uh, then we've got Luai over Mam, Cleary over Reynolds. And, oh, we've got Walters over Kenny, so it's actually 2-2 two, two, uh, for the spine. Uh, but Payne has first, um, like, forwards enforcer, alpha forward role. We went for Payne House over James Fisher-Harris, but not a lot of ground lost in saying that. Uh, move to the bench quickly. Jack Cogger, uh, Tyson Smoothie. What a name. Love it. Uh, yeah, I'd say Cogger. Yeah, Cogger. Okay. Um, uh, what do you got? Lindsay Smith, Brandon Piakura. This is uh, I don't I, I just say this is a draw. I, I don't actually know. How about you? Uh, probably Piakura, but but yes, yeah, not not much ground lost on that one. Two fairly unknown players there. Uh, for me, Piakura is sort of the hype around him as a big future. It's probably influenced my choice there, but we'll go with Piakura, uh, Spencer Lenu, uh, or Kobe Hetherington. Uh, just on Pierre Curry, he loves to drop ball at a crucial time. Um, Spencer Lenu for sure. Yeah, that one's an easy one, unfortunately. Sorry, Kobe. Uh, and the last one, Luke Garner, Keenan Palacia. Okay, Palacia. Can I just say, maybe with the exception of Spencer Lenu here, the benches are underwhelming for these two. They sides. are. They very much are. Which is quite surprising. The reserves, Tyrone Peachy, Corey Oates, Marty Tapao. Now, I'm not saying like, like you know, they deserve to be in the 17, but then their names that have been around, the veterans are in the reserves, not in the 17. As I said, Peachy, Oates, Tapao, um, Corey Jensen, Jock Madden, always rated, Tristan Saylor. So there's some names in the reserves, Zach Hosking, um, but the bench themselves, yeah, not a lot of. Yeah, the peach sort of just got shafted towards in the scenes. He had a really good filled in really well during Origin and then never to be seen again. So, yeah, I guess that's just how strong Penrith are. 
All right, we've got Penrith by one point. So these are two pretty evenly matched sides. So it's going to come down to something like who handles the heat, who handles the pressure, um, and that's probably the reason why I'm being conservative in my approach by going for Penrith because they've been there, done that. It's a lot more of a safer bet. But uh, it could it genuinely could go either way, which is exciting. Um, one of the, the last thing um, no, I want to talk about, this one one of my last comments here, uh, unless you've got something else to add, is um, anyone listening that doesn't know much about the Super League, tune in for the Catalan home semi-final um, next week. Uh, it's already sold out, set to break the record, which is not a huge record. It's only about 12,000 um, at Stade Gilbert Bruce, which is the home ground of the of the only French team currently in the Super League. It's not the, the, the crowd figure that I'm necessarily referring to because they've had much bigger um, in Barcelona. They got 33,000 there and they got, I think, 13,000 in Montpellier when they transferred home games to those two cities. Um, it's what what the atmosphere will be like. Um, so if you want a unique rugby league experience in terms of your TV viewing, watching a Catalan home game that's sold out and it's finals and it's all on the line kind of thing, it's gonna. there's going to be music, there's going to be fireworks, there's going to be flares, there's going to be a lot of yellow and red colours. Um, so if you're up early enough, tune in for that game because that one will be one for the ages in my mind. Um, but anything else to add? Uh, we'll wrap this one up. No, man, it's, uh, yeah, I think we've really exhausted the the grand final. I just hope that um, they bash each other into oblivion so that we have some new some new picks next year. Yes, and uh, we will be recording a few more editions, um, obviously throughout the off-season, but also um, for the international season as well, which is um, almost upon us. I think that's a few weeks away um, now. I think uh, October 14th. That's when we come alive. That's when we come alive, yes. All right, well, uh, we hope you enjoyed another edition of Rugby League Therapy, and we'll see you on the other side. Mm -hmm.